0: Wünschst du dir, dass dein Lieblingspodcast nicht mehr durch Werbung unterbrochen wird? Gute Nachrichten! Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Gehe einfach zu amazon.de/slash Gesundheit-Podcasts, um noch mehr rund um Fitness und Gesundheit zu lernen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Akas-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise
1: Werbung. Monday to, Monday to Friday from 9 a.m. This is Views and News with Clarence Ford.
0: Only on K-Talk. Welcome, Dr. Christmas. Good to have you back. It's been a long two weeks. Oh,
1: Merry Christmas more than anything because it's, well, next time we talk to each other, be after Christmas. All the all sort of dust will have settled a bit.
0: Oh, cool. So we are going to be chatting next Friday. I'm looking forward to that already. Um, I, I'm wondering, you know, given our conversation this morning, maybe you can wade in on that uh, we've got some fires in the deep south I, I think you're familiar with our geography so that's in the Cape point area yes yes yeah so some pretty big fires and they've opened up in multiple fronts lots of speculation about how they could have opened up but then we also have our indigenous bush, and this indigenous feinbos requires requires fire for for regeneration could these fires start spontaneously
1: most fires don't start start spontaneously nor does human spontaneous combustion probably exist in, real, in reality, something's got to start a fire. Because if you think about what's a fire, a fire is a chemical reaction. And for that chemical reaction to start, you need a high enough temperature, you need something for it to burn, and you need something to make the oxidation occur. That's the, the process. It's a process of oxidation. So you're using oxygen to drive the oxidation of a fuel, and something gets it hot enough to kick-start the process. Now, that could be someone sets the fire, it could be nature sets the fire with a bolt of lightning. It could be something in the environment that someone discards, which accidentally then causes the fire to happen. So it's a range of a range of different possible causes. But you're quite right. There are some plants which, because of the, the sort of rich diversity of life on Earth, some plants have naturally evolved to need a good burn through in order to give them a kickstart. And this ranges from beating off all the competition to... There are some plants that have evolved to actually need to have burning in the environment to send a chemical signal that kickstarts the germination process of seeds. There's a plant in Australia, and it's, it's actually its name is Black Boy. They're all over the west of Australia. And these plants, they look like a sort of palm tree trunk, but then they've got these spiky, almost like grass growing out of the top. These only grow when there's been a really good burn. And those sorts of plants really need the competition to be burned down, because when the fire goes through, it knocks out all of the bigger things, which are more combustible. And this allows light and heat to get into the understory in the bush, so that these other plants can grow. And there are other species of plants, a colleague of mine worked on this, which, and they, they discovered these signals by burning bits of toilet paper, and then breaking all the different chemicals that came out from the burned toilet paper into the different groups and then adding them to the seeds of these plants until they found the chemicals which trigger the germination process. And it turns out these, the seeds of some plants have chemical docking stations on them that are sensitive in the environment to these particular chemicals that tell them there's been a very recent fire, therefore now is a good time to grow because you'll get lots of light lots of water and you won't get poisoned or strangled by lots of other plants trying to grow at the same time so get going now and you'll get the advantage so in, there's all this amazing diversity of, of different me- mechanisms of making your way in the world for the the plant kingdom
0: so spontaneous compassion we can rule out completely
1: i think it's very unlikely uh things just don't happen for no reason lightning it, with south africa it's geography and and storms i would say lightning's a really good contender but you always blame people because people are careless and sometimes they also do things maliciously and people discard cigarettes they actually sometimes start fires for reasonable reasons keep warm cook something and then don't bother to responsibly put it out properly all these things are possible
0: sure uh, the fame boss was there before people, though. Um, so it's just an interesting little question. But I think you bring a lot of clarity to, to people who harbour such thoughts, uh, thoughts about spontaneous compassion. Let's get into a voice note, Joe. Let's take a listen.
2: Good morning, Clarence and the Naked Science. Dr. Smith, Flores here from Booster. Um, what I would like to know with regarding to climate change, worst case scenario, what if it's too late to try and avert any danger from uh, um, planet earth being destroyed any further what is the worst case what can happen to us as humanity if it's too late to avert um, this uh, challenge that we all facing as uh, humans here
1: on planet earth i think the simple way to think about this is that the planet will be okay in the context of climate change. Now that sounds like I just committed heresy, but the planet's been here for 4,500 million years or so, and it has been through periods in its history when it was far, far hotter than anything we can do to it. Planet's here, planet's fine. There was a huge great asteroid that came in about 65 million years ago, and it wiped out 70-plus percent of plants, it wiped out the vast majority of animals, and it gave mammals a kick start. Animals' life and the diversity of life is all still here. The vulnerable thing in the room is us and what we're worried about is us because what the climate change that we predict can do it has the potential to really upset earth's apple cart for us the really cushy number we've got the top of the pile position that we occupy in the world that could be jeopardized really significantly by climate change which is why we're worried about it we're very very good at ignoring the elephant in the room until it really affects us and treads on our toes then we suddenly think it's a crisis. So really, the Earth will be here. Other things will step up. There will be changes, but the planet will carry on. The thing that will really struggle with climate change is going to be us. And I think probably if it's allowed to go to the extent that it could, if we carried on business as usual, I think what it will do is it will cause us to destroy ourselves, quite frankly. Because what will happen under the scenarios that people predict is that many parts of the Earth will become much, much drier other parts of the earth will become much, much wetter. It might be as much as 50% of our livable land area that becomes less hospitable for us. So if I did that to you in your neighbourhood, what would you do? Well, you'd move house, wouldn't you? So where will you move? You'll move to where it's nicer to live. Well, if half of the world now is unlivable and we're living in all the best bits, then what happens to the population density in those parts of the world that are... Currently, still livable or become more livable. Well, people will move there. So, this drives up the population density. We currently still are adding to the Earth's human population at a very, very high rate in, in relative terms. It's about 1% or so per year. In some parts of the world, it's 5% population growth per year, which, if you allow that to carry on, you'll double the population in about 70 years or so. So, we're already heavily pressurizing the environment. And then you've got the impact that when you change the climate, parts of the world that we currently don't like living on which are pristine wilderness, the places where animals and and other plants have a refuge, they suddenly become more hospitable and more attractive for humans, relatively as well as in absolute terms. And we then go there, plough them all up to grow food for humans. And so you can see that we will end up living on top of each other. We will end up competing for vanishingly rare resources. And we'll probably start a war because the war will be over water and land, And that could well wipe us all out Uh, or the other factors that will come with that intensification of our use of the remaining environment is we will cause diseases. And so there'll be more and more pandemics and there'll be therefore more threats to us from that perspective, too. So this is why it's in all our interest to try to minimise the rate at which this happens and try to until we become a bit more intelligent and can deal with it in a more grown up way. And also to try to mitigate the extent to which it happens for all of the above reasons.
0: Let's go to Catlejo Katlejo, Katlejo uh, wants to know what causes lactose intolerance, especially in adult age. Uh, he loves milk or loved milk since uh, he was young. But since two years ago, I'm experiencing intolerance. But there is a voice note, I'm told. I don't know if you can find it there, but that essentially is the question. Dr.
1: Chris Smith. Well, what's lactose? Lactose is a sugar. It's a sugar made of two smaller sugar molecules glued together. And it's the main sugar, which is in milk and when we feed on this it goes into our intestines and we secrete from our intestines enzymes which are effectively molecular pairs of scissors that chop these molecules apart so that we can absorb the simple sugars and when we're little and we're relying on milk we have a high level of enzymes capable of doing this and some species have more than others as we get older we tend to switch off the programs that produce those enzymes and we can end up in a state of relative deficiency. So if we carry on drinking or eating milk, or we have a diet which contains far more milk than our evolutionary origins really intended us to consume then you have a state of relative deficiency of the lactase enzyme that breaks down lactose and then you can have side effects or consequences because if you don't break these sugars down you don't absorb them in the intestine then they go further down the intestine and they feed certain populations of bacteria in your microbiome, in your big bowel and that changes the relative populations of the bacteria in your big bowel. And that, in turn, changes the environment, the chemicals that they degrade, the new chemicals they produce and then feed to you. And this has the effect of making your tummy feel less comfortable. So we, we tend to see this happen in adulthood because when we're younger, we have a biochemistry which is more adapted to survive on a milk diet And also certain populations around the world are more prone to this happening to them for various reasons, probably a genetic founder effect where there were some populations that were better at digesting milk because they had used more milk in their diet and they'd selected for humans that naturally had more of this enzyme, other populations who had less. And then where they went and migrated around the earth, they founded populations that then inherited those tendencies. So you tend to see some genetic effects here.
0: Let's go to Denise. She's on the line from Table View. Welcome, Denise.
2: Hi, Clarence. Good morning and good morning, Doctor. Um, I would like to know, if you use sunscreen, does it prevent you from getting the vitamin D that you need from the sun?
1: A good question, and the answer is it does a bit, yeah. Because the way sunscreen works, the common ones include things like zinc oxide nanoparticles. The chemicals are, or, or what's in the sunscreen, are tiny particles which are so small they're of the order of magnitude of the light waves that they're able to block so in other words down at the same sort of size as the light waves of the ultraviolet rays so if you smother yourself in this stuff then you reduce the delivery of ultraviolet through the into the skin and the way in which your body makes vitamin D in the skin is that the ultraviolet rays act on cholesterol in the skin and they produce 7-dehydrocholesterol and that that is the starting molecule for them making 1,23-dihydroxycholicalciferol, which is made in the liver and then activated in the kidney respectively, which is otherwise known as active vitamin D. So if you cut down the supply of ultraviolet getting through the skin, you will cut down that reaction a bit. But the reality is that most of us in a sunny country with nice bright sunshine like South Africa will probably make enough vitamin D if you have lighter skin anyway. And you probably don't need to put sunscreen on if you've got very, very dark skin because you naturally are able to fend off the UV with melanin. But if you live in other high latitude places where your supply of sunshine is much, much less, like the UK, where the sun hasn't really shone here properly, a nice, bright, sunny day for more than a month... Can you imagine the depressing effects of that? It's amazing that people in Britain have got the ability to smile at all. I mean, it explains a lot about why we're miserable all the time, but that that really is taking the rip, rip isn't it? But to, to clarify them, if you've got a bit of sunshine on your face for about 15 minutes each day, that's probably enough to give you a supply of vitamin d that you need but when the sunshine means that your shadow is longer than you are you're probably not getting enough intensity of uv to make enough vitamin d and if you slap sunscreen on then you probably are going to stop the process but most of the year you're probably getting enough uv in a sunny country to get enough vitamin d
0: we are chatting with Dr. Chris Smith, lecturer at the University of Cambridge, the Naked Scientist. He joins us every Friday just after 9.30, an opportunity for you to throw any question at him. Dr. Chris, good morning. Why do some people, or rather, why do some blind people roll their eyeballs almost involuntarily? Shabudin in Autry with that question.
1: Hi, Shabudin. The answer is that if you watch a person who is thinking when you ask them questions, they will move their eyes around. And that some police officers and some psychologists have this idea that if you look at the direction a person looks in, looking left or looking right, that it's a reflection on whether they're engaging the left or the right side of their brain and therefore whether or not they're likely to be making up the answers because one side of your brain is more creative, one side of your brain is more logical and didactic. So can eye movements indicate whether or not a person is confabulating Lying, in other words, it's a bit iffy whether that's true or not. But the reason we move our eyes around when we think is because there are structures at the front of the brain, including one brain region called the frontal eye fields or FEF, where you coordinate movements of your eyes. And adjacent to that region of the brain are the motor regions of the brain, the premotor and also supplementary motor, but also the motor cortex. So one argument goes that when you move your eyes around, you are engaging some of these motor circuits. When you, when you think about moving your eyes around, you also engage some of the motor circuits that make some move. And because those regions are also next to the brain areas which are involved in decision-making, and these uh, other things like memory recall, that one thing, when there's activity in one area, it spills over. Into the adjacent brain area. So you get some facilitation of those brain areas, which is why we involuntarily, when we're thinking along the lines of one thing, make another thing happen and our eyes move. And so that's probably a more reasonable suggestion for why it happens. And a blind person uh, is, they're not looking at you, so there's nothing to hold their gaze looking at you. So therefore, the eyes tend to wander in, in response to what the brain is thinking. Uh, rather than being instructed to look at and so it probably is a bit more manifest with a blind person but it's something which we all have a natural tendency to do
0: let's uh, go to the whatsapp line um oh there's a f- oh zuki is in from big bay welcome zuki hi clarence how are you i'm really like a man compliments of the season to you you can go ahead for dr chris smith thank
2: you and thank you and thank you dr chris now, I've got a question about insect bites. Um, I'm sure you've heard the trick about how to stop them from itching by you sort of make an X on the bite with your nail. And personally, that's worked for me every single time. So I want to know if is there anything to that or is it all in my head? And I've also seen that you can buy devices that claim to to heal insect bites. And I think they use heat. So how would those work?
1: Hi, Suki. You did well because you got a happy Christmas, effectively, off Clarence, and I I just got blanked. So um, well done. You You did better than I did. The answer to this, I think, is that when we have an itch, the reason we scratch an itch, we tend to, when we scratch, are applying a potentially painful stimulus to the skin. And the evidence we have from neurophysiology, how the nervous system works, is when you scratch skin, you activate the nerve fibres or classes of nerve fibres which respond to pain and when you follow where those nerve fibres go in the spinal cord they send signals to the pain sensitive bits of your spinal cord that then tell your brain this bit of my body hurts but they also send branches to other nerve cells which inhibit or turn off itch sensation so when you are scratching an itch it's basically a big red light has come on on your neurological dashboard making your body pay attention to it and you have reached over and pressed the reset button to turn off the big red light having paid attention to the body part that was itching by scratching it and the pain from the scratch goes up and turns off the itch sensation and we like it we're rewarded for that because it feels good because by reinforcing that behavior, it means we pay attention to itchy bits because itchy things could signal problem with the skin, something trying to infect you, something bad on your skin that could be trying to or about to harm you chemically and so on. So it's that kind of reward circuit to make you pay attention to things that might be about to go wrong and to save yourself from some horrible thing happening. So you making an X on your mosquito bite or your insect bite, you're effectively inflicting a bit of pain on yourself. And instead of scratching, you're doing it with a nail pressed into the itchy bit, but it's amounting to the same thing. You're recruiting pain nerve fibers, which are then feeding back and turning off the itch nerve fibers. I'd be cautious with devices that allege to do this. That's probably rubbish. The way in which we can control the itchiness of insect bites is with things like antihistamines, because when you have an itch in the skin because of a bite, that's because it's provoked the release of inflammatory chemicals, including histamine. And so if you abolish the action of histamine, you'll make it itch a bit less. There are other ways to get itch down with with steroids and things like that, but you should be very careful about putting steroids on as in these are glucocorticoids like hydrocortisone and things you must be very careful about putting that on insect bites because if there is an infection there which most insect bites do cause a degree of skin breakdown and infection you could get a worse infection if you suppress the immune system with steroids so be very careful about that but antihistamines is probably a really sensible way to in the first instance try to control the itching from an insect bite
0: okay so that merry christmas little wish was going to come at the end Uh, dr chris smith and we actually nominated i'm not i'm I'm
1: not i'm not sore about it or anything clarence i'm just saying it's fine
0: it's all good but we are there (laughs) at the end of the show so let's take a listen to the voice note hi
2: clarence me again florist i just want to say merry christmas to dr smith he has really enlightened a whole lot of us and yeah inspiring us to do better so yeah i just want to say thank you for being available uh, dr smith You and your family have a lovely, freezing, (laughs) warm Christmas over in England. And yeah, take care. God bless Until we hear again from you. Bye-bye.
0: Well, it's going to be next week. But as I said, Floris was nominated to do that in appreciation of you giving us valuable time every Friday and for all of us learning in that process. So a big thank you to you. Uh, it's not the end of the year just yet, uh, so Floris, you're going to make another speech next week. Um, but yeah, thanks, uh, Dr. Chris Smith. Your time is appreciated.
1: Oh, that was lovely. Thank you so much. I love the little kind of uh, the little little dig there about the weather. Mind you, I, I was pretty self-deprecating about that earlier, wasn't it? It really has been miserable this year because normally we at least get some sun and winter time. You you know it's cold, you know that it's gonna rain, sometimes it snows, but it's gonna be bright and sunny quite a lot of the time, but not this year. And this really, really upsets people and they get something called SADS, which is appropriate name, seasonal affective disorder and not enough sunshine, especially when it's not getting light till about nine o'clock in the morning. It really robs people of really important bright light input at the beginning of the day and it affects people's mood really, really badly. Some people are really and, sensitive yeah. to it.
0: We are told suicide rates go up in the process as well.
1: Exactly right. And that probably, it's not a coincidence that around New Year, more people do, unfortunately, take their own lives. Partly, I mean, I think it's probably a range of psychological factors but this is almost certainly not not helping so um hopefully the sun will shine for me at christmas so we can get some nice sunshine and i can try and make a bit of vitamin d because that's the other thing that happens we we've been doing tests on our population and the average person in a country like the uk from about christmas time is quite vitamin d deficient and we should probably in countries like this all be taking vitamin D across the wintertime because we just don't make enough from the sources we were discussing earlier in the programme where sunshine shines on your skin and makes your vitamin D. Your own inbuilt solar panels just don't work.
0: And there's a cure for that, of course. uh, Half of the UK is in Cape Town at this moment in time. That is true. Uh, That that is
1: very true.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Smith. You're very welcome. Wünschst du dir, dass dein Lieblingspodcast nicht mehr durch Werbung unterbrochen wird? Gute Nachrichten! Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Gehe einfach zu amazon.de slash Gesundheit-Podcasts, um noch mehr rund um Fitness und Gesundheit zu lernen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Akast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung.